do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to Episode 58 of The Pennsylvania Project. As you may know, here at The Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania and to relentlessly pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. Now more than ever. We have a heavily interactive episode planned for today, and like all episodes of The Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we utilize an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can always drop us a line at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Today for the you part, we have our latest regular feature, Unscripted Cohorts, and something unique in our 58-episode history. One of our regular listeners will be calling in live today with his own unscripted questions. So we have history today. After the you part comes part two, the them part, where each episode we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Today's guest is once again all political. She's Ashley Klingensmith, Pennsylvania Director of Americans for Prosperity. After that comes the me portion of Pennsylvania Project, where it'll be my turn, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. I'll be focusing on some particular issue that really sticks in my craw. Today, I'll be ranting about the fallout from some of the bungled responses to the pandemic. And throughout the show, as is our long-established custom, recently re-established, I might add, we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to serve as narrator to read our live commercials. Today, we have Alexander Karras, a member of the Drexel University Toastmasters in Philadelphia. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Alexander. Thank you, guys, for having me. It's good to have you here. I gotta ask you a question. What do you like about Toastmasters? It's a great way to test your skills in public speaking and to get out there, to get new topics, meet new people, and to find new ways to bring yourself about. I agree. Changed my life. Got me on the air, right? Mm. (laughs) And you too. Yeah. Typically, we also have a second Toastmaster with us, according to another one of our ancient customs, to help read and respond to whatever comes into our mailbag and to join discussions with our guest. It's a role that we call cohort- I got a text out in the parking lot. Our cohort is ill today, so we're going to have to go cohortless for a change. But I did ask Alexander to step in and fill in a bit of the role. So Alexander will be participating in some of the discussions later on. You, sir, are the first person in our 58-episode history ever to go directly into the, the seat of a cohort. Well, I like to make history. There you go. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> now, one of our ancient customs is that the cohort usually brings along some kind of a question, totally unscripted, that get, to get the show rolling in proper direction early on. And I asked Alexander if he wanted to do that, and he said he'd think about it. He's nodding his head. So what do you got? What do you think? Well, let's dive deep into the political questions right away. As a libertarian, what kind of social security do you think a government, state, or federal should give to its citizens? Ooh, that's a very good question. And th- there's a couple levels to that answer. Uh, first one is the existing social security that the federal government has right now is completely unconstitutional. 
When the states banded together to form the federal government, they ceded certain powers to the federal government, 17 of them to be precise, which are in Article 1, Section 7 of the United – sorry, Section 8. <laughs> Shoot me in the back. Of the federal constitution, which I have right here. I don't refer to it too often, but I got it handy. And there are things like printing money, waging war, posting roads, patents and copyrights, things like that. Nowhere in there does it say that you should be running a social – any kind of a retirement program. So right off the bat, it's unconstitutional. They can't force you to pay into it. What I would do instead of the social security model we have now is something – I believe it's – Chile does this. They have made it voluntary and people can contribute to it. And they, they take care of it on their own along those lines. So I would follow something along that sort of a model, the Chilean model. Now, there are other things that the government does. Welfare, again, welfare is not mentioned in the federal constitution. It is, however, mentioned in the Pennsylvania constitution. But the Pennsylvania constitution limits welfare to uh, veterans, the blind, and the children of veterans. Other than that, it's, it's unconstitutional. You, you, just, you just can't do it. You shouldn't do it. Now, that's, that's the legal side. Now, what would I do instead? One of the things that's mentioned in my novel, Atlas Snubbed, you'll be hearing a commercial for it in a little bit, there's a whole new concept there and how we take care of people who, who for either through misfortune or bad luck or I guess they're the same thing, right? Misfortune and bad luck are the same thing or whatever – that they need the assistance of their fellow people. What I've done is come up with a concept called the separation of society and state. Society becomes its own entity. It looks just like government. It has a constitution. So at the national level, it would have a president and a congress. At the state level, it would have a governor and a state house. Local level, we have a mayor, town council, whatever it is. Main difference, though, between government and society is that Society does not possess the coercive power of taxation. So that means that if you want to help somebody, if society wants to help somebody, any funds that they spend on that would have to be raised through voluntary contributions. So they would have bake sales, they would have a, a voluntary benefaction, whatever it may be, and they would vote on – I wouldn't call them laws. I call them guidelines because they don't have the power of law. What they do is they would say, well, we'd like you to contribute this much this year. And they say, oh, you know what? And we also put together this social security program. If somebody needs help, we're going to pay it, pay it out. They would come up with their own budget. This is how much we're going to, we expect we're going to need. This is how much we're going to ask people for. And typically, you know, looking at what, talking to priests and other religious people, only about 10, 20 percent of the people contribute. But you base your entire budget on that. And that way, you have the money to help people who need the hospitalization, who need some welfare, unemployment compensation, whatever it may be, and you set up your budget. And if you don't have enough contributions to cover everything, you do you – know, society would have to do what you and I have to do if we don't have enough money. We prioritize. We tighten our belts. We do special fundraisers, Jerry Lewis and our telethon or whatever it is. And that way, the poor, the indigent, the needy, all can be taken care of without – the course of power of taxation without holding a gun to somebody's head. And I've been wanting to establish the separation of society and state for a while. We can actually do that right now. There's nothing stopping us. 
And I would like to transition from the government all the various feel-good programs that they have, whether it's the PACE drug program or unemployment compensation or whatever, and transition it over to society and reduce the size and cost of government, reduce your taxes. That's a rather long answer. I'm cutting into Bernie's time here. <laughs> Does it answer your question? Yes, thank you. There you go. You're welcome. Good question, too. So, let me see. I'm going to have to flip over. Because, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we got our special historical event about to happen. For the first time ever, one of our regular contributors has come on the show live to pose his questions. His name is Bernie McCann. He's from Elwood City, Pennsylvania, out there northwest of Pittsburgh somewhere just before Ohio turns flat. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Bernie. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> How's it feel to be special? Uh, great, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm, I'm not in lockstep with what libertarians believe. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think they're community builders. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm a former fundraiser. I raised funds for the San Francisco Free Library and the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art when I lived in California. Oh, thank you for that. And I have to tell you that a library is something that certainly everyone in the community can make can make use of. But it was to say that maybe twenty percent of the people on my list would give. Um, it really isn't true. I mean, it was more like maybe I'd get one out of 15 people who were actually interested in, in giving. Uh-huh. And the same is true, I think, with our, our school system. I pay, pay property taxes in order to have a good school. They're one of the highest property taxes in the state. Yeah. In order to have a good school in North Swickley. I don't have any kids to go to that school, but doesn't it make them better citizens? Doesn't it make them better neighbors if, they, if they're better educated and they have a good school in the community? Doesn't everyone profit from that by an increase maybe in, in uh, property values? Uh-huh. Well, Bernie, you know, I, you know you're, you're going off on a couple subjects there. Let me, let me take them one at a time. Let's start with your, your fundraising skills. If only one out of 15 gives, and this is what I just mentioned to Alexander a moment ago, if, if you know that only one out of 15 are going to give, you set up your budget based upon that. And that way, you're not being unrealistic, and it, it saves you the trouble of holding a gun to somebody's head and say, hey, you're going to do the library. And the, <laughs> and the second thing about the library, that's actually in the novel there, Atlas Snubbed, The Separation of Society and State, because the guy who sets it up, he's sitting in an abandoned library when he does that. And one of the first hmm. things he does when he sets up society is, he first of all, there are some refugees that need help. He takes care of them first. And the second thing he does is a small appropriation to hire a librarian. So this is a golden example of what separation of society and state could do. People who want to do it can do it. And, and I'm not going to say how libraries are passe in this Internet era. So that – Well, certainly not. But I, I mean I uh, forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel that um, – uh, Oh, one point, recreating uh, society and state, separating a society and state, would be the same as, as recreating the wheel. I mean, you'd have customs. Those customs would become, I disagree. say, You don't have customs. Well. See, as, as a libertarian, I believe you have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided only you respect the rights and property of others. So if I go over to New Jersey and I'm importing some fine French wine, because Pennsylvania is not selling that kind of stuff at the moment, 
That's a separate story. Well, it's not unusual for you to be in New Jersey getting wine, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 want, I wine a lot from time to time. That's all right. Or, 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 or whatever it is. You know, what role does government have in stopping me from bringing wine into Pennsylvania? Why do we have a custom? Why, why do you even think we should have customs? Well, I'm not sure that's a good law that would stop you from bringing wine into Pennsylvania. That seems a little ridiculous okay, to me. Then, then, all right, so we can forget about customs. Alexander looks like he wants to jump in here. Yeah, let me give something positive about customs. Do you think ivory should be freely traded up until all species go extinct? Oh, no, no, that's a separate issue. Well, isn't it useful that government has customs to make sure that it doesn't, it doesn't get in this country, so at least one of the biggest, the biggest markets in the world uh, gets cut off for that? That is certainly true. It would, but that's a separate issue. The question is, how do you stop people from stealing no, and you, and I agree, not, but I mean, like, and you're not, uh, I make a, I'm making a point here for customs. Okay. Because you were yeah, but it, having it's, no good idea for customs. Well, I, rather than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. Customs is solving the problem correctly. You are going to stop that trade. But the correct problem to stop, or to solve, is to stop the theft. It's the theft of the ivory, which is at the beginning. Everything else is secondary, tertiary, and all a result of the fact that somebody didn't stop that theft. One thing that's been very effective in stopping theft, this is not a Pennsylvania issue. I mean, we're talking about Africa here. <laughs> One thing that has, has worked is private game reserves. So rather than just a wild people own the game preserve, they own the land, and they have a direct financial interest in making sure that the ivory stays on board. Now, so when you start saying, well, now how do we stop trafficking in ivory, well, if you stop the thefts, you stop the trafficking. But there's also another side to that. There's no perfect world. You're never, ever going to stop everything. They can't stop the flow of drugs in prison, for example. They're not going to be able to do it in a free society. And you and I were talking about Portugal, how they ended their war on drugs and saved 17 out of 20 opioid deaths. Anyway, does that address your question? Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Bernie, back to you. Okay. Um the other question I wanted to ask you was, um, if a libertarian was president, or how would you handle this as, as president? This is kind of an issue that affects all Pennsylvanians. Okay. Um, uh, if you, you're off, you've often said that we're all libertarians, and some of us don't we vote are. that way. But we're all libertarians at heart. I have said so that. if that were true, if that were the truth, why would it be necessary during a pandemic for the president to invoke the Defense Production Act to make sure that we were getting the supplies that we need, you know, all right. the PPE and the ventilators and that kind of thing. I have no idea. I'm well, not, I'm not mean, a, I'm not in a, a libertarian-run society. Hang on. The so- society would take care of those sorts of things. And people have been breaking their necks, falling over backward to help out with this pandemic. So and it's not in the Constitution. I already talked about this with Alex's question in the beginning. It's not in the Constitution for him to do that. So he shouldn't be doing it. He can't do Social Security. He can't be doing medica- medication. He can't be no Department of Education, which Ronald Reagan was going to get rid of. And none of this is Pennsylvania. <laughs> so I, and I have no idea what's in that act, so I really couldn't say. And I don't, oh, really, okay. and I don't, I, I don't pay attention to Mr. Trump either. I'm a Pennsylvania guy. <laughs> and my last question is, um, Mitch McConnell wanted to uh, pass a law to give Bernie, blanket immunity to huh? think. Two things. I'm going to, have to stop you right there. First of all, I have I don't know anything about Mitch McConnell. It's not Pennsylvania, and our time is up. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be Pennsylvania. Well, we're going to have to leave it on that. But anyway, right. your special guy, first one to ever do this. And on that special note, that's going to have to do it for the you portion of episode 58. Thanks again to Bernie McCann of Elwood City for coming on the show. We're going to pause for this information. And when we return, we'll be meeting with today's guest, the Pennsylvania Director of Americans for Prosperity, Ashley Klingensmith. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed. Available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Here's an interesting question. What do you think of these three ideas? Number one, people have all the time inalienable right to alter, reform, abolish their government as they think proper. Number two, jurors have the right to determine the law as well as the facts. Number three, the rights of these citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state shall not be questions. Do this sound like something taken from a Hollywood political trailer? They're not. They're all direct quotes from Article 1 of the Pennsylvania Constitution. Everyone's heard of the United States Constitution, but have you ever heard of the Pennsylvania Constitution? Have you read it? But most importantly, was it ever taught in school? If you're virtually all Pennsylvanians, the answer is likely to be no, no, and no. Well, it's long past time that we change those answers to yes, yes, and yes. And you have a crucial part to play in the coming past. As you know, we here at the Pennsylvania Project are all about the solution. So we authored a petition demanding the Pennsylvania Constitution to be taught to our children. If you believe it is important for our children to know how our state government works, head over to our website, pennsylvaniaproject.com, and add your name to the growing list of signers. And every time we accumulate another batch of signatures, we'll send you a copy of the petition to the governor, the Pennsylvania Board of Education, and each and every one of our 500 school districts in Pennsylvania. Asking them right now to start teaching our children the Pennsylvania Constitution. So please sign the petition at PennsylvaniaProject.com. The alternative is yet another generation that's never heard, let alone read, the Pennsylvania Constitution. And people wonder why no one votes anymore. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the them portion of episode 58 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Today's guest, as I mentioned at the top of the show, is solidly political. She's Ashley Klingensmith, Pennsylvania Director of Americans for Prosperity, a native Pittsburghian, Pittsburgher, I don't know what the term is. (laughs) She studied law at Denison University out in the flat part of Ohio, just past Bernie there former aide to a Pennsylvania state senator, to a former congressman, and her brother worked at SpaceX. Oh, man, you're on my top of my list already, Ashley. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project. 
Ken, thank you so much for having me. Really looking forward to the conversation. Oh, it's already here. I, you know, we, we could talk the whole show about SpaceX. Get me started. <laughs> they're, 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 well, Elon is a uh, common name in our household. I can tell you that. I knew there was something I liked about you. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about SpaceX or Elon. We want to talk about Americans for Prosperity. What is it? I, I went out to you the web. I went out to the website and it said, uh, "Broad-based grassroots research. We are driven for long-term solutions to the country's biggest problems." That's- Absolutely, no. It's great to be on, and I believe this is the first time a representative of AFP has joined, and so um, this is a real privilege. And I'll tell you, yes, advancing you know positive policy solutions that are transformative is what we aim to do. And we do that through identifying, educating, and mobilizing grassroots activists from all corners of the Commonwealth to be change agents and be a voice in the discussion that is often limited to some of those um, kind of under-the-dome insiders. And so we really believe that communities are are what drive the best solutions and are closest to the problems, yes. And so our role is to scale the voices of individuals from across the Keystone State into a more um, collective and unified voice so that they can be amplified in Harrisburg. And so we, you know, we are also, just like the PA project, uh, guided by a vision and a North Star and almost any kind of policy consideration that we make is guided by that vision. And for us here in Pennsylvania, it is that we have a Pennsylvania with robust free markets where a bias against erecting barriers to opportunity exists and thriving communities where people succeed by helping one another are the norm rather than the exception. You know, that sounds pretty libertarian. Are you guys... Where, where do you put yourself on the political diamond? Are you left, right, top, yeah. bottom? Great question. We really consider ourselves to be nonpartisan. We've, we've frankly started, you know, stopped even even using the term bipartisan. We really are nonpartisan, and we <laughs> we believe wholeheartedly in that Frederick Douglass mantra of working with anyone to do good and no one to do harm. I love that. And so, frankly, for any given kind of policy portfolio, you know, um, we, we just want to unite and stand together with, with folks that, that might be um, willing on any given issue, and maybe nothing else um, uh-huh. provides space for common ground, but where there is, uh, whether it. that's in, that's right. yes, we will take it. You, know, you got it. And I, I got to back you up there. Uh, on the Pennsylvania Project, we do not use the word bipartisan. We use the word mm. multipartisan, please. Wow, great. Okay, it sounds like I'm in the right place. <laughs> That's right. And, and I, wanted to, I wanted to get your, I, I was trying to write them down. You're there to identify, mobilize, and what else? Yes, identify, educate, and mobilize. Educate, that's it. You got it. And that is why we have a permanent infrastructure of staff across the state. So we have staff in Philly, in Nepa, up in Luzerne County, uh-huh. in Erie, in Pittsburgh, and in Potter County in God's country, uh-huh. and then right in the heart of Harrisburg, so that we really are uh, reaching out to folks where they are in their own neck of the woods. Uh-huh. I really like your whole 
approach to the individual, the grassroots idea. Yeah. There's a mantra yeah. that, I, that I say all the time, and I've been saying this easily 20 years now, and it's easy to remember. It's, it's the mantra of the grassroots activist. Ten words, two, mm. letters, two letters each. If it is to be, it is up to us. Or if you want to make it personal, oh, it is up to me. Love that. Yeah, thank you. I, I guess, and I'm going to borrow that. <laughs> I, I borrowed it from Dick Body. He was from California. I heard him say it in 1996. He was seeking the Libertarian Party's nomination for president. African-American guy. He was great. I stole a couple of lines of his, but that's the big How one. How wonderful. If it is to be, it is up oh. to me. And it rhymes. I so appreciate that. Yes, yeah. You're welcome. Now, how do you find these people? How do you reach out to them? Absolutely. So community organizing has, has somehow become a, a dirty word in some circles, but it really isn't. And so what we do, our engagement directors that I just mentioned, where they're located throughout the state, they their, their full-time role is to get out in communities, meet people, and where we have common ground, uh, unite to advance policies and some of the solutions um, that are tearing up to some of uh, the biggest problems that Pennsylvanians are facing. You know, I, I always start off by saying to whomever I'm talking with, whether it's a lawmaker or a policymaker or a, a, a brand new activist who just registered to vote for the first time in their life, I am the last man standing in my family in Pennsylvania. Now, I don't know if I should, you know, maybe explore that a little bit more, but they all say they've left for, <laughs> uh, for economic reasons. And so, you know, my mother went to Tennessee. My father went to Ohio. My aunt went to Delaware. And so, you know, you see this outbound migration of, of individuals, and my family included, heading to states where they really feel more empowered to earn their success hmm. and keep more of those earnings. And that is something that when we, what we're hearing from people all over the state is I don't want to have to make a choice to stay or to leave, but that's the point we've reached uh, for so I, many people. That's true. I wouldn't put myself among them. I love Pennsylvania. I've been here my whole life and I've, I've worked in other states and I see no reason really to go anywhere else, but I'm a geek. You know, this, there's the well, industry around here is good for, for geeks like me. I, I concur. I'm here for the long haul, but I'll tell you, North American Moving Services um, every year does an inbound and outbound migration study. Uh -huh. And for the past two years, PA has been in the top five of outbound migration. Really? States, even which with, we never broke. Even with the fracking boom? You got it. That is correct. Interesting. Yes. So that's a trend that, that we, we've got to reverse. And we have, as you just mentioned, an incredible um, asset and natural resources. And there are so many just um, exceptional reasons to come and to stay. Uh -huh. But um, people are looking to places that are uh, innovating and transforming quicker than Harrisburg. Uh -huh. how, would you, how would you reverse that flow? Are you going to set up a customs organization like Alexander suggesting <laughs> and not letting people out or Look, blow up I'll the bridges you, to New Jersey, which may be a I'll good idea. <laughs> no. Well, I, I really think at the heart of our uh, solutions for keeping pen people in Pennsylvania is really to unrig this state. And we think the chief I'm sorry, most un transformative... On what? Yeah, unrig the state. Un and so right now... 
unrig, you got it. We have an uneven playing field uh-huh. for workers, for businesses. And so we really think that that a bold policy solution of comprehensive tax reform oh, you, is you, what lawmakers have got to look at. Music yeah. to my ears. I mean, we, oh, we've got... See, so, we have a new ally. <laughs> I mean, the, the property tax issue, it, that's huge in Pennsylvania. It just has not gone away. I mean... You're every, right. And the, the Act 511, the Local Tax Enabling Act, which does all those little nuisance tax, the business tax, the earned incomes tax that schools love to levy, that's already been found unconstitutional, but it's still there. It's still on the books. We, You're right. And we got to. And there are so many different taxing authorities. We, we You're to, exactly right. One of yes, one of our principles um, that we've been talking with lawmakers about through our activists. We had a very wonky lobby day in October. Wonky. Uh, where I love your vocabulary. where we talked all about tax reform and we brought some of our ambassadors who are kind of the highest level activists that that hail from their own respective counties we brought them to harrisburg for a day had meetings with members of leadership on comprehensive tax reform and one of the principles we shared that day that they should consider in crafting a comprehensive package is simplicities we are hearing that even though we have this you know, low and flat 3.07% income tax rate, there are so many complexities that need to be addressed and simplified, like the number of taxing authorities that we have, um, and kind of the confusing and outdated income classification system that we still subscribe to. I don't know. Pennsylvania's, uh, in terms of the Pennsylvania income tax, I think it's, it's pretty good. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of that flat 3.07, which I think is too high, but it's good. And it's in the Constitution, Article 8, Section 1. It's already there. Yeah. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and you're listening to Episode 58 of The Pennsylvania Project. We'll be right back after this information with more from the Pennsylvania Director of Americans for Prosperity, Ashley Klingensmith. Do you like The Pennsylvania Project? You must. After all, you're listening to it right now. But would you like it more? More of the rants, the guests, the fun, or you're in luck. Because by popular demand, we've added even more contact. Things like keeping up with the mic's life, even after credits roll. At the end of the show, we continue our on-air conversations. It's all 100% unscripted and often include things that we can't say on air. Or shouldn't. Would you like to access each episode the day it's recorded? Live stream every show that has happened? behind-the-scenes interviews, bonus videos with our guests. All this is now available at PennsylvaniaProject.com. But wait, there's more. Sign up today and you will also get a copy of Ken's novel, Atlas Snap, a parody sequel to Andy Rand's Atlas Shrugged. And you can even call in live and participate on the show. How is that for more content? You can be the content. So the idea of more Pennsylvania Project excites you? Head over to PennsylvaniaProject.com and click More Fun at the top of the page. Solve the correct problem correctly. Sign up today. Hey, Ken Krawczak here, caster for the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader? Communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, 
you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters, and now I have my own radio show. So turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. Visitors are always welcome, and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Are you a small business owner, always looking for more referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generate new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn fast and easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have to take pictures or write a single ad. Stephen will take the headache out of your process. Contact StephenWorley.com. That's Stephen with a V. W-A-R-L-E-Y.com. Fly Fisherman, new and old. Understand the importance of affordable quality gear. At Christopher Fay Fly Fishing, we have provided that for a quarter of a century. Whether you have dry fish, wets, or a combination. Christopher Fay, F-A-V-E, flyfishing.com is an American-made letter for you. Pennsylvania Proud, our reputation rests solely on your complete satisfaction. Again, it's Christopher Fay, flyfishing.com. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and we are back with episode 58 of the Pennsylvania Project. And Ashley Klingensmith, Pennsylvania Director of Americans for Prosperity. Still with us, Ashley. I am here, yeah, Ken. You haven't taken off on a SpaceX ship. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> you know, Mars is on the bucket list. Ah, oh, there you go. I'm right there with you. <laughs> now, before the break, you mentioned something in passing. You've got a lot of good information, and I'm, I'm taking notes here. I keep wanting to go back to things that you already said, like unrigging the state. Oh, I, yeah. I love that. But you also mentioned yeah. that you're focusing on some of the biggest problems facing Pennsylvania. And I got this quirk in my head. Whenever I hear a relative word like biggest or best or whatever it may be, I, it, it sets off alarms. And I was wondering, okay. what, what do you see as the biggest problems that Pennsylvania is facing? Well, and, you know, I would say that that also goes hand in hand with opportunities because as a state with, you know, a full-time year-round legislature, there is a lot of opportunity to get Harrisburg out of the way of some of what it has had its hands in. <laughs> and Good so luck. remember that, yes, so remember that kind of um, stanza from our vision statement where a bias against erecting barriers to opportunity exists. Uh-huh. And so we know here in Pennsylvania, there are a whole lot of barriers that have been, uh, been erected by the Bureau of Professional and Occupational Affairs, for example, requiring people, I think over 30 different licensing boards now, to, uh, to have to go to those individuals and those boards to simply get a permission slip to work. Now, are you talking, so we think, are you talking about ending yeah. professional licensure, like doctors and nurses and horse masseurs, which Pennsylvania is now regulating as well? Well, look, I think if this, if this COVID-19 period of time has shown us any, anything, uh, it's that the, the, the approach that we took 
with licensing is one that that didn't work in the time of a pandemic. You've seen governors from from Tom Wolf to um, you know uh, to, to DeSantis in Florida lift some of the um, licensing uh, you know policies and waivers that were on the books. And so, if it's okay in a in a in a moment in time like a pandemic. Uh-huh. Those should likely be lifted, uh, you know, for good and permanently. I, and so we really, yes, go I, ahead. I agree. I, I heard I heard half yeah. an answer there. So you're saying we should get rid of professional licensure for doctors and nurses or, uh, or allow other people to practice? Yeah. So, look, we really believe one of the biggest issues here in Pennsylvania is that we have not yet passed nursing scope of practice expansion. And so while there has been some Department of State uh, movement on some of their practice authority, here is the reality. We have in PA about 211 federally defined healthcare provider shortage areas, meaning that there are 211 populations in our state where there is less than one primary care provider per 3,500 people. Well, how do we know that and need so is val- we- How do we know that need is valid? I mean, it's the federal government's opinion. What do they know about what goes on in Pennsylvania? Is that a one-size-fits-none well, solution? Well, fair point, but we know from being on the ground that folks are tired and and wary of having to unnecessarily travel, you know, an hour to yeah, their but physician. I'm, yeah, and but I'm, what we, I'm wary of federal government interference in this state. I mean, look at the mess that they've made well, of so many things. So aside from, yeah, so aside from even that, that statistic, the reality is um, over 500 and um, I don't want to get my... Um, Sorry, my can, stat wrong. We can ballpark. And so actually, let me just tell you that we, we have an aging population. And so there are more individuals that are going to need to see, uh, you know, um, and consult healthcare professionals uh, than ever before every uh-huh. single, frankly, year that goes by. And so we really believe that expanding the ability of nurse practitioners I to agree. meet those primary care needs uh-huh. That is what we need to be I, thinking through. I agree. And we, we need to be taking, in America especially, Ken, an approach that's different from some of that, you know, public option, Medicare for all, um, you know, fixes that other countries have taken. We need one that opens up our health care system, that's empowering nurse practitioners who have years of um, education, experience, and tenure working under a physician to be able to, to deliver that need. I agree. I think yeah. we should. I think we should free and free the moms too, because as you're saying that, I'm, I'm thinking of my mom, yeah. and you know, my wife is mother to our kids, and our kids as mothers to their kids. That they're the ones yeah. who are, like you say, they're the people on the ground. They're the ones who are That's living right. the reality and not the statistics of the whole thing. That's right. So but now would, more so than ever, I agree. So we should. I think we should. I think we should relax more of the, of the licensure that is really stopping things. And probably the biggest area where I would like to see the monopoly. And it's what it is. They've made a monopoly for themselves. All professional licensure is a form of monopoly, whether it's insurance agents, whether it's your doctors. Mm-hmm. But the worst one, absolute worst one in Pennsylvania, is the Pennsylvania Bar Association. They will throw your butt in jail if you practice law without their permission, without going through their hoops. 
I mean, it's even worse. Because mm-hmm. if you're a, a, a doctor or a nurse or just somebody who is studied in medicine, you can give right. advice. You can give advice to people. You're not going to get thrown in jail. But when it comes to the right. the oh, and you're a law school person. You're not an attorney, are you? I'm not. No, oh, I did go to law school, but went right to work after law school. There you go. You, you got an honorable position there. But but I, yes. I agree with you. I think we should unrig. That's a good word. I'm going to stick with that one. Unrig Pennsylvania, especially when yeah. it comes to professional licensure, and I'll just free the people. Yeah, and, and I'll say what is going to percolate is the conversation around that public option, um, you know, I, I, I suppose um, – opportunity as as some are calling it and I have to tell you that I think folks like you and probably many of your listeners know that none of us have the answer for every single problem with healthcare today because frankly no one does and certainly Harrisburg nor DC does. I have an answer Ashley. Health health share organizations they're like they're like insurance mutual fund companies people band together and they pay each other's medical expenses and I've had private medical insurance. Jeez, I'm an entrepreneur, so I worked for myself for the last, what, 40 years. And mm-hmm, I've had mm-hmm. private insurance the whole time. And ever since Obamacare got passed, the cost of my medical insurance has shot through the roof four, five, six times what it's yeah. been before. But health share organizations in Pennsylvania, I can still get the same old premiums. It's actually not a premium. It's a contribution that I used to get pre-Obamacare. So it's, it's like one-fifth the cost of an Obamacare policy and its better coverage, and the people who are part of your health share organization, they'll send you get well cards. You know, they'll stop by, they'll help you out, send you chicken soup. I just made homemade yeah. chicken soup yesterday. But health share organizations are the way out of it. Get government out of the medical Absolutely. business and let, it, let people run it again. And what you just described is patient center health care reform, right? And, and, and amplifying HSAs. And, and Ultimately, what that does is provide better health for more people at a lower cost. Uh-huh. And those three things, I think people broadly across you know, political ideologies in the spectrum tend to agree on. We just don't necessarily agree on how to get there. But we really know that opening the system to innovation is what we need to do. That's right. Um, That's why I'm talking about ending all that professional licensure, all the monopolies that it puts that it engenders. Absolutely. But I think even looking at FDA reforms, it's taking, what, a decade to get a new drug, you know, to market. That, that is simply uh, not workable. That's true. And, and it's also not Pennsylvania. So we, we don't get into those details. Pennsylvania should be able to do it themselves. We are a republic. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why some, some of our fine pharmacy companies here couldn't just do it on their own. I know some of the states, they do their own fully automatic weapons, rifles. And as long as they don't wow. transport them across state lines, they can do that. We are a republic, and the federal government has no say on what goes on inside the inside the state. But I'm I'm on my soapbox. I should get off. You know, Ashley, we're running short on time, and I just want to be able to open things up and say, is there anything that you wanted to cover that we haven't talked about yet? And it doesn't have to be Americans for Prosperity. You could talk about. I always pick on puppy mills. I don't like puppy mills, but yeah, <laughs> Alex no, is say- shaking his head too. <laughs> Well, hey, I would just say when it comes to, you know, getting Pennsylvania opened up for business and making sure that we are um, back into a 
a uh, thriving economic position as we were, frankly, um, pre-COVID-19 largely, um, we really just want to note that, and I want to note, that there really has been this false choice. I think so many of us have heard about, you know, continuing a total shutdown or opening everything up. And I, I would just like to say that, you know, we believe in minimizing risk. Um, and that responsibility kind of um, gets the economy going again. And we think that all of those considerations about safety and about risk um, are best informed by folks in communities. from business and certainly a, a stakeholder in that conversation are policymakers. But I, I would just like to say, you know, I hope that their ears and hearts are open and minds are open to people that are actually living through what 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 we're hearing about on the news, but actually be open to hearing um, from those folks. And so at Americans for Prosperity, what we do is make certain that activists from all 67 counties uh, have a voice in Harrisburg. Excellent. Um, and what's your website? Americansforprosperity.org. Americansforprosperity.org. Yep, and in the drop-down menu, pick Pennsylvania. Yep. All right. That's going to have to wrap it up for the then portion of the show today. My thanks once again to today's guest, Ashley Klingen-Smith from Americans for Prosperity. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, I'm going to be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw, the fallout from the bungled response to the pandemic. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Alexander, how's it going? Bad, Ken. Really bad. Why? What's the matter? Our personal friends at Infernal Revenue Service made me a personal visit the other day. The Infernal Revenue Service? Yep. Call them what they are. They sent two big brutes to my house. Scared us half to death. I bet. What do they want? Money. Lots of it. Remember that part-time gig that I took over last summer? Yep. You were raking in some big bucks. Yeah, and all those bucks went straight into my personal bank account. It turns around. It, it turns out the IRS doesn't like that. And I didn't file any of the right forms or pay nearly enough in taxes. So they want it all now. Right now. Plus penalties and interest. Ouch. Sounds like you should have called Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them. And when your client pays them, they pay you. Minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. They'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And take care of all taxes, all the forms? Yep, and they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Man, I wish I knew about Amendment 16 sooner. Where can I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N.com. One call does it all. Have you heard the big news? The Pennsylvania Project is expanding dramatically. Each episode is now being broadcast multiple times a week on WWDB Talk Radio in Philadelphia and the show has recently gone into syndication across Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, sorry. Our excuse, our success can be your success as well. A limited amount of opportunities have recently come available where you can advertise afford- affordably on Pennsylvania Project. Not only will you message Beard throughout Pennsylvania's largest media market by far, 
All episodes are always available for downloading at pennsylvaniaproject.com, at WWDB's website, on iTunes, and many other popular podcast providers. So here's your chance to become a permanent part of a liberty-oriented talk show on WWDB, since legendary Irvy Homer hung up his headphones. Interested? Drop us a line at pennsylvaniaproject.com today. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and, and welcome to where I put my notes. <laughs> and welcome to the me portion of episode 58 of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get to rant a bit about something that really sticks in my craw. Today, it's the fallout from the bungled response to the pandemic. Where, oh, where do I begin? You can't know where you're going if you don't know where you are, and you can't appreciate where we are without knowing where we've been. And I'll try to be brief. Yeah, right, me, brief. (laughs) We'll see. Anyway, let's start at the top. In case you have not heard, there is a pandemic sweeping the planet, a new kind of flu or fluish thing. It's not nearly as deadly as some of the older headline flus like Zika or H1N1 or Ebola. Because even regular old flu kills more people per year than this new flu. And other maladies strike down thousand times more people per day than corona, whether it's cancer, diabetes, heart disease, suicide. Even your everyday mosquito kills thousands a day. In comparison to some of them, corona is something of a piker. So why all the hubbub? Well, the difference here is that you can catch corona easier. And if you're old or have an existing health condition, you're at a greater risk of dying. But how much greater a risk? Well, if you look, you'll see how politicians in the lamestream media scream out daily figures. Such and such many died today. So and so is the latest hotspot. Death rates are going up and up and up and so on and so on. The problem with virtually all that reporting is that there's no context for it. And I know I've ranted about this before because they're lacking the most basic math skills. For example, just take the death rates, please. You hear them all the time. 3%, 2%, whatever percent. The problem is... Virtually all death rates are made up, fabricated, fake news. Seriously. Let me just give you one very damning example. How many times have you heard them say that many people have corona but don't even know they have it? And there are people who have no symptoms and people just don't go to a doctor. I don't know. I've heard it many, many times. I'm sure you have too. But wait, a death rate is the number of fatalities out of the number of people infected. It's a fraction represented as a percentage So these people are readily admitting that they don't know how many people are infected. We don't even know how many are infected, they keep saying. But how can you have a fraction without the denominator? You can't. It's basic math. It's basic fake news, irresponsible fake news, frightening people. As I said before, the absence of complete data on infections, the only way you can do it without that data is to have what I call a true death rate, per capita deaths. What I've been using on all my comparisons is the number of deaths per million of a country's population. Or you can use deaths per billion or per whatever, just as long as you're consistent about it. Because that makes it an objective number. The true death rate gives you a true metric for comparison, one country to the next. Well, here on the Pennsylvania Project, we've been using the true death rate all along. But, I don't know, virtually nobody else is using it. It Makes you wonder what basis politicians are using to make their decisions. It's like a magic eight ball. We won't open it. Try again later. No, no, it beats me. Whatever they're using, it's flat out wrong. And of course, their worst decision, 
was the insane lockdown. They've managed to destroy the Pennsylvania economy and the economy of the whole planet trying to stop an unstoppable foe. I just read how New York's governor was so surprised, shocked in his word, he learned that two-thirds of their new coronavirus cases were people who had sheltered in place. People who had self-quarantined, never gone outside. And this is not just a few people, not just some people, not half the people, two-thirds. Two out of three new cases were people who were theoretically safe. He said, and I quote, these people were literally at home, unquote. Well, geez, Governor, what did you expect to happen? It's a pandemic. And it shows how fake news can get even fakier, whatever the word is. Bottom line is that the lockdown was futile. It was purposeless. It was needless. Out of all the countries in the world, only Sweden has avoided the lockdown approach. Business there goes on as usual. Restaurants are open. Concerts are concerting. People are living their lives normally. Yes, they're sheltering and protecting the vulnerables, as I call them, senior citizens, people with medical conditions, and anybody who wants to self-quarantine. But everybody else is out and about. Sweden is solving the correct problem. Starting way back in episode 50, I've been keeping an eye on the true death rates, first in Europe and then more and more countries. Then after two months of looking, I looked again today. And you know what? Sweden's libertarian approach is no better or worse than the rest of Europe's lockdowns. They're not at the top of the heap of the true death rate. They're not at the bottom of the heap. Most importantly, they're at the same place where they were two months ago. You know what that means? It means there's no reason at all to shut down the economies of the planet. I've said it before. I can't say it enough. There's no reason at all to throw millions out of work. No reason at all. But you know, despite the blunt facts, politicians are doubling down on that failed strategy. Did you see our big bad wolf governor's latest announcement? (laughs) I read it several times before I figured out what it meant. He's trying to hit two goals at once. One is to create make-work jobs. He wants to create, and I quote, the Commonwealth Civilian Coronavirus Corps, unquote. The CCCC. See? I guess it's like FDR did with the original (laughs) Civilian Conservation Corps. Why is he doing this? His goal is, and I quote, to recruit and train dislocated and unemployed workers into public service, unquote. That's not too surprising. Hey, he's a Democrat. He's never met a job pro- jobs program he didn't like. But, you know, I really had to shake my head at this one because, yes, he's using our tax dollars to help out people who are affected by his bungling. But you have to remember... He's the bungler who caused them to need a job in the first place. He's the one who shut down Pennsylvania. It's like going to a doctor to get a broken leg bone set when it was that very doctor who broke your leg in the first place. And I expect he expects us to be grateful for this. Bah. If you want us to be grateful, Governor Big Bad Wolf, let's, op- let's follow Sweden's lead and reopen Pennsylvania. You can quit play- playing dictator and go back to selling furniture. But, you know, his... His plan gets worse. What, quote unquote, public service will all these CCCC people do? Quoting from his announcement once again, it says, to develop a robust infrastructure to conduct surveillance and contact tracing. Get it? He's creating a network of paid informers with your tax dollars. Spies, snitches, stool pigeons. Hey, when you mandate a lockdown, you need secret police to support your regime. And if that wasn't bad enough, the United States Supreme Court ruled this week that 
big bad wolf is completely in his rights to ruin our lives and shut everything down. Man. And people ask me why I'm involved in politics. And speaking of police, they're still out there enforcing the big bad wolf's diktats. Google it. You'll find lots of stories about people getting hassled, fined, arrested. I guess the state police weren't enough muscle for him, so he has to recruit his undercover snitches. You know, we're all about solutions here at the Pennsylvania Project, but when our governor turns against us, when the courts turn against us, when our fellow citizens are getting paid to turn on us, what solution is left to us? Let me leave you with a quote from someone who also struggled under the heavy hand of government and came up with a workable solution. I'm talking about that champion of civil disobedience, Mahatma Gandhi. Quote, be the change that you wish to see in the world. And at the rate the world is sinking, we had better do that soon. On that desperate note, that's going to have to wrap it up for episode 58 of the Pennsylvania Project. What do you think about pandemics, about Sweden not destroying their economy? What do you think about Americans for prosperity? I kind of like that. What do you think about reopening your business anyway, despite Governor Big Bad Wolf? Or anything Pennsylvania-related you'd like to say? If you do have something to say, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com, right after you sign our petition, that is. And you can hear us there, too, as well as on iTunes and a plethora of other popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting in Philadelphia at 860 on the AM dial, every Saturday at 10 a.m., among several other times, and in Kutztown on KUR Radio at 1670 on the AM dial every Monday at 7 a.m. Every episode is also released as a podcast every Tuesday at Pennsylvania.com, PennsylvaniaProject.com, I'll get it right. Our webmaster, Stephen Worley. Marketing guru is Connor Dragotis. Our featured Toastmaster narrator and standing cohort is Alexander Karras. Official bartender, Brooke Smith. Keyboard wizard, Joe the Pag. Radio producer, Brett Kronberger. Executive producer, Mark Pizzacco. And me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us. And remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct 